The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Matthew 28, verse 16, the Word of God says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that this morning that you receive it as such. You may be seated. Well, the dawning of a new year brings with it for most of us great anticipation for the upcoming months in hopes of some personal and maybe even professional changes, growth, and development. For me as a pastor, the beginning of the year is a time really for seeking the Lord for direction for the next 12 months. And this year as I did that, the Lord has brought me back to the same thing He brings me to every year, namely to the Great Commission. This call, this mandate to make disciples. Now all of us pastors, we know that making disciples is vital It's very important. We know this. Yet, the Barna Research just did a study, and they found out in 2015 that only 1% of church leaders believe that today's churches are doing a good job at discipling new and young believers. 1% believe we're doing a good job. So this is a global issue within the church We're not doing a great job at making disciples. So this year again, my mission has been refocused. We are called to make disciples. This is what we mean by our mission statement. It's just another way to say it. We are here to equip people to be real followers of Jesus. That is just us stressing that we are about what Jesus wants us to be about. Making disciples of all nations. And we want to be more intentional about this. So Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he calls 12 men to follow him. And for the next three years, these men walk alongside him and he disciples them. And then you fast forward three years later, before Jesus' ascension, here in Matthew 28, and we find him now commissioning these same men, 11 of the 12 disciples, to go and to make disciples now themselves of all nations, teaching them to obey what Jesus has taught them. And I want you to know that this is still true for this generation today, and this will continue to be true until Jesus returns. We are called to make disciples And so my aim this morning is to bring some clarity and and refocus to this very familiar passage. So I want to point out two really clear principles from the Great Commission. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, 
the Lord desires worshipers, not just students. Look at verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. See, biblical knowledge is vital. We're all about learning the Bible at this church. But biblical knowledge is not an end in itself. The goal is not just to get smarter. This knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding is meant to move us to something greater. To worship, to obedience, to glorify God, to treasure God. When I deliver a sermon, I don't just want you to be informed. I want you to be transformed. I I want that knowledge to to shape you, to form you spiritually. And here's really what I want every week. I want your affections to be raised for Jesus. That's the goal. The Lord desires worshipers see, not just students. The disciples, after being with Jesus for these three years, after walking with Him and learning from Him and watching Him and experiencing firsthand His compassion, they were moved to worship Him were moved to yield themselves completely to Jesus, even eventually if it meant costing them their lives. They were committed. They were worshipers. John 4, 23, familiar scripture. Jesus is conversing with a woman at the well, and he says this, The hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You see that? God is seeking worshipers, not just students. So, here's the point. Good biblical theology and understanding should move us to incredible, authentic worship. This is one of the reasons we're very intentional about the way we do music here. We start with some worship to prepare your heart for the Word, but then we've been splitting the worship and doing another set at the end so that by the Word, by hearing the Word, your hearts hopefully will be compelled to worship God very authentically. Worship after hearing the Bible preached ought to just flow from your hearts. God wants worshipers, not just students. Second point is this. Our mandate is to make disciples, not just converts. Every January in our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, each church is required to complete what is called an ACMR report. And this is where we provide our national office with different statistics uh, from our church based on the previous year. Salvations, quote unquote, that occur in the given year. Now, what's difficult about this is how do we really qualify salvations? Is it because somebody raised their hand in the service in response to an altar call, because that doesn't save you? Is it because somebody came and, uh, and cried out the, at the altar? It, it takes faith. It, it takes repentance to be saved. That's, that's what saving faith is. It is to repent and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's tough to qualify if that has really taken place. And there's something else that, that, that I've noticed when we, when we fill out this report. We are, are great about celebrating the many salvations that take place as a result of our ministry. But I'm reminded that that's not really what we're called to do to make converts, 
No, we are called to make disciples. And the question ought to be, are you really making disciples? See, conversions are great. But are we discipling those who profess Christ? The mandate to make disciples, this is important, does presuppose that conversions will take place. Obviously, people need to be saved. But when that happens, when an individual comes to Christ in, in faith, our job is not done. It's just getting started. We are called to make him or her a disciple. My brother and wife just celebrated the birth of their second child and just watching them. They were at our house this weekend, uh, this week, just uh, watching them kind of care for this child exhausts me. I mean, and I'm reminded of, of, of the commitment it takes and the energy it takes to take care of an infant. Can I get an amen? So they, they were at our house this weekend. A little Lehman, uh, Liam just demands uh, their undivided attention. He's completely dependent on, up upon them. They feed him. They change him. They burp him. They, they put him to sleep. They tell him when to wake up. They're watchful of him at all times. They always know what state he is in. And any sane parent cares for their child in this way. It's outrageous, isn't it, to think of a parent who would celebrate the birth of their child and then hand that child a bottle and a diaper and say, good luck, you're going to do great. And just leave that baby to kind of fend for itself. And we go, I'd be ludicrous, it's crazy. It's abandonment. But you know, that's exactly what we're notorious for doing in the church. We celebrate. We go crazy when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They put their faith and trust in Him and they repent. And we celebrate that. We'll have a party. We'll post on Facebook how happy we are. And we'll have them a, hand them a really nice Bible. And we'll say, you're going to do great. That's overwhelming for a new Christian. That, that, that new Christian, you understand, is a spiritual infant. And then yet we leave it to fend for itself. It's overwhelming and frankly, it is unbiblical. So we are called to disciple those converts. What is a disciple? Well, a, a disciple in its simplest form is one who follows a teacher. It's the difference between a student and a disciple. Uh, as a student, you might learn but not necessarily follow. A disciple follows a teacher. Are you a disciple of Jesus? In the Bible, the original 12 disciples referred to Jesus as master. They dropped everything to follow him. He transformed their lives. So a disciple of Jesus is one who absolutely knows the Lord understands his teachings, and seeks to follow him wholeheartedly. That is what it is to be a disciple in a biblical sense. So we are called, you and I, we're called to go into the world and to preach the gospel so that more and more people will call him master. But when that happens, I'll say it again, our job is not complete. Our duty now is to help them understand and to follow the teachings of Jesus. In other words, the entirety of the scriptures. So how do we make disciples? Well, the main imperative of these verses is 
to make disciples. But Matthew records them three aspects of this process, namely to go, to baptize, and to teach. That's how we make disciples. We've got to go. We've got to baptize and we've got to teach. And this is not just the job of the pastors. You have a part in this as well of making disciples this call to go. This involves going into the world and reaching people with the gospel. We don't wait for the world to come to us. We're to go to them. Telling them about the things of God. We don't wait for them to come to us. We've got to go to them. Acts 1, 6, Luke gives us some insight to this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. The word says, so when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But watch what Jesus says here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Isn't it good to know that in our disciple-making efforts that we're not alone, we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There it is. That's the going that Matthew is describing. We're to go. We're to be witnesses. And Jesus is in Jerusalem. That's where they were right then. And then they're to go out to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the disciples are to wait in Jerusalem for this promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, where they will be empowered by the Holy Ghost for Christ-exalting ministry. And I want you to know, as a side note, that this power is still available for us today. And then by that power, they are commanded to take the gospel first to Jerusalem, then to expand out to Judea, Samaria, and then all the parts of the known world. And that's our mandate today to go. Our Jerusalem is is Richmond or Berea or wherever you live. It's your office. That's where you're to start. You don't have to go to some third world country to begin with to share the gospel. The people you work with, the people maybe you live with, or the people who live next door to you need the gospel. So we're called every one of us, not just the preachers, not just the pastors. We're called to go. And then we don't stop with our city, but we're to reach our our state and our country and ultimately the whole world. And you say, well, pastor, it's not feasible for me. I can't I can't pack up and go to China to share the gospel. Well, aren't you glad that we have faithful missionaries who do that for you? But you know how you extend your reach? Through your faithful giving. That's why giving is so vital. We have at this church five faithful missionaries that have sacrificed so many commodities and comforts of this country to go into uh, far places to reach people with the gospel. Some of them uh, really endangering their lives by doing so. And it's great that we can extend our reach. Part of our going is supporting missionaries. We have Ben and Dina Burnett here who are Chi Alpha missionaries. You may not have access to be able to go on the EKU campus or you may not really feel called to do that. But we have uh, this, this couple who is willing to do that. And we get to support them as a church. It's incredible. So we get to extend our reach every week to the EKU campus to over 16,000 students. 
many of which need the Lord. It's incredible. So all of us are called to take the gospel. We're called to go and to reach others with the good news of Jesus and his redemptive work. Let me just say, when you treasure Christ above all things, this happens naturally. You don't even have to think about it. Because whatever you're most passionate about, you know this, you talk about it. If you find somebody really passionate about health care or about, uh, you know, working out or eating right, they probably drive you crazy, don't they? If they uh, work out and they're really, it's changed their life by working out and losing weight or, or eating healthy, then they become kind of evangelists for that healthy lifestyle. They just naturally talk about it. If you find a product that changes your life on QVC, come on, you're going to tell everybody about it. You know, when if you think back to when you first fell in love, come on somebody, you're going to talk about that. I remember when, when I first met Nikki in our geometry class, I watched her walk to the pencil sharpener and I thought, oh dear, I am in love. And I went, came out of my room, Nikki and I were getting ready to go on one of our first dates to go see a movie. And I walked out and, and I was just talking in conversation with my mom and I called one of the foods we were eating, Nikki, because it, her name just came out of my mouth. But see, when we treasure Christ, that same thing happens. Yeah, we naturally tell people about Him. It just flows from us. We don't have to think and plan this out. It just comes out. If you treasure Jesus above all things, you're going to be bubbling over with the gospel. It will flow out of you naturally. When you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit's power, it just flows from you. It's incredible. Where to go? The second aspect of making disciples is water baptism. And I, I won't spend a lot of time on this. I think we understand this, most of us. But those who respond to the gospel, who believe and repent, should be baptized. So if you've led someone at work to the, to, to, you know, to, to the gospel and, and to Christ, and, and, and they have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, they've been born again, you need to encourage them to be baptized in water. You can go home and read later today in Acts chapter 2 and remember Peter, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, preaches a dynamite message. And the Bible talks about all these people who were pierced to the heart because of this anointed preaching. And they come to, to Peter and they say, listen, we've been touched by this message. What do we do? What do we do? And Peter says two things. He says, I want you to, number one, repent. And then he follows it up with, and be baptized for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're to go and, 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 and you know, disciple someone who is converted is then to be baptized. That's part of disciple making. But then there's a third aspect, and that is teaching. And this is where I think we're failing people today. Now, there's a sense in which all of us are involved to be involved in teaching others about Jesus and his commands. And then there's another sense in which this duty of teaching falls upon the elders of the church or the pastors of the church. It's the job of each one of you to teach others by your words and by your actions. By talking about the things of God. By living loudly for the glory of God. I love the, the verse um, Hebrews 3, 13 and 14 verses here. The Bible says, exhort one another every day. 
Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if when indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You know, one of the means of perseverance that the Lord uses this discipleship that's supposed to be happening in the church by believer encouraging and exhorting believer. Mutual accountability, mutual encouragement, mutual inspiration that comes from the word of God. And this type of exhortation should happen again very naturally. Uh, a man by the name of Eric Raymond in one of his articles gives some really practical ways as to how this type of teaching happens in the lives of ordinary believers. He writes that when Jesus commands us to make disciples, he intends for us to live our lives in obedience to him in the presence of other people, believers and unbelievers. And he says that this intentional living seeks to show others the worth and the power of Christ. In short, we let people in to see how we live out the faith, the, the Christian faith. And then he gives us some examples. This is discipleship, organic, if you will, discipleship. He says that discipleship happens when a guy wants to be married but doesn't really have a game plan for how to go about it. So he asks another brother for guidance and help and this brother in Christ takes him out for lunch and he talks him through some biblical principles and some practical things and he then commits to pray for him to be available for questions and he meets occasionally to talk about his progress. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens when a mom with two toddlers drops something off that she borrowed from someone else at church and during the exchange they get to talking and the young mom expresses her feelings of fatigue and failure to measure up to her perceived standards of motherhood. The other woman listens to her and she reminds her of the scripture. She prays with her and then continues to come alongside of her for encouragement in the gospel. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens, men, when a dad points out a scantily dressed lady and instead of whistling... He tells his teenage sons that what they see is actually not beauty. He explains to them what beauty really is as it relates to God's character and his will. Explaining the proverbious woman. And he continues to tell, to show and to emphasize the true, that true beauty God delights in is that on the inside. Discipleship happens when a brother notices another brother is running hard after his job and neglecting his family and ministry. He comes alongside him to remind him of the true and lasting treasure and the proper perspective on work. Discipleship happens when a single woman senses another single woman's discontentment with being single. And she makes a point to come alongside of her for encouragement in the goodness of the gospel. And can I give you just a real life example that I just that just delighted my heart that I read last night? One of our members posted this last night she writes i had a guy tell me he used to be saved well that's when we had a long discussion about grace he cried out and he repented it's powerful god is good if you're waiting until you can clean yourself up to go to church you will wait too long jesus loved the broken he died for us his grace is sufficient my favorite line, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did. Shoo, powerful, she writes. 
And I'm a little emotional because I spent 17 weeks, I'm told, on the book of Galatians last year. Teaching the very principle that it's about what we do, but what, about what Jesus has done. And I'll just be honest, sometimes I think, are they getting it? And when I see one of our church members testify, it's incredible. That's discipleship. It's not formal. It's not something where you have to set up a formal meeting, even though there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just speaking about the things of God, encouraging people about the things of God. It's powerful. So all believers in this sense are called to be engaged in teaching and training other believers. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you encouraging them in the scriptures? But then there's another sense in which pastors and teachers are called in a more formal way to teach believers. For instance, Paul instructs Timothy in the fourth chapter of the book of 2 Timothy to preach the word. To be ready in season and out of season. To reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's the job of the elders of the church. Pastors. According to Titus chapter 1, elders or pastors must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, people are confused, maybe more than ever, about the truth today. The scriptures are often twisted and taken out of context. And friends, this is crippling to the church. I love the story of the man who says to his friend, I'll bet you five bucks you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Why, everybody knows that, the man replied. It's now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And his friend looked astonished. He pulls out his wallet and hands the man five dollars and says, Wow, you win. I didn't know you knew that much about the Bible. Well, that, that is a joke. By the way, that's not the Lord's Prayer if you're new to our... But uh, the reality, see, is not much better. A partner study done by Lifeway and Ligonier Ministries found some alarming results about the state of theology amongst evangelicals. In our world today, 46% of self-identified evangelicals believe, according to this study, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 46% of self-identified evangelicals have bought into this lie that all roads lead to God. My Bible says that Jesus is the way, not a way. 36% of self-identified evangelicals believe by the good deeds that we do, we can partly contribute to earning our place in heaven. We've got a whole series online that they can listen to. These statistics, excuse me, only back up what we know to be true. Namely, that there is incredible confusion about even the most basic fundamental doctrines within the church. So we must be more intentional about correcting this. So let me just give you four ways that we plan at Real Life Community Church to amplify discipleship in addition to continuing to just preach the word on Sunday mornings. We've got some other tools that we're going to utilize. One of those that we hope to really grow this year is small groups. I'll be honest with you, I really miss Sunday school. 
We, we tried it in this church. We had three people show up uh, when I was first here. Uh, I wouldn't be against trying it again. But people just don't like to get up early, I, I've learned, in Richmond. And so, and, and maybe, in, you know, look, Caitlin's going, yeah, that's me. Um, so, uh, this small groups are for you, Caitlin. You don't have to get up early. Listen, I, I believe that's, that's a necessity. If you look at many of the churches that are really doing well at discipling, there's a staple, and that is small groups. That creates a smaller community. It, it, it creates naturally... That desire to exhort one another daily. You build relationships. You get into the Word. And small groups do not come without problems. I've been leery in a way because you can cause division. You get the wrong leader in there. But, but I'm, I'm willing to take the risk because I think we desperately need small groups. So uh, if, if you are interested in any way in helping in, in small groups, maybe hosting a group, Come talk to me. There are going to be some really rigorous qualifications, but it's something we can train you and get you ready for. We have one small group already uh, that, that is meeting a ladies group. I hope during that ladies group very soon to have a men's group as well. And then also by the uh, summer, we hope to have maybe four to six other small groups. The next uh, way that we're going to try to amplify discipleship is through our Wednesday night teachings. And we're going to teach at some point this year, sooner than later, on the uh, 16 fundamental truths of our fellowship, the Assemblies of God. You need to know what our fellowship believes and what the church that you're part of believes. So we're going we're gonna to talk through some of those uh, core doctrines of our fellowship. The next one is uh, real pastoring. That's the next, next aspect or the next uh, tool that we're going to use. And you're like, have you been fake pastoring this whole time? And uh, no, I haven't been fake pastoring. But pastors are shepherds. They're called to be shepherds. There's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. Every pastor see, should know the spiritual temperature of their congregants individually. I want to be more intentional about that. And that's not popular today. That's why people love churches where they can go in, be unseen. Nobody knows their name. They can get their feeding for the morning and leave with no accountability. But I'm called to care for your soul. I'm called to shepherd you, to love you, to inspire you, to encourage you. And I just was really convicted about that. There's people in our church. I don't know what they know and what they don't know. I don't know really uh, just outside of what I see on Sunday mornings. I don't know who treasures Christ and who doesn't. I don't know who in our congregation are nominal Christians and who are not. So that's something that I want to be more intentional about. There's a fourth one here. Now, if you grew up in a traditional church, if you're Lutheran or you grew up Catholic or Presbyterian, you're going to be really geeked out when I say this. You're going to love this. If you grew up Assemblies of God or even um, a more traditional Baptist, not Reformed, then uh, you're going to be like, are we going medieval in this place? But um, there, there's one more tool, and I'm really excited about this. We're going to utilize a tool called the New City Catechism. One of the most proven, this is not a Catholic thing, by the way. The Catholic Church uses some type of catechism. We're not going Catholic in here, all right? Just for clarification. One of the most proven, effective ways historically to help believers learn and understand the basic doctrines of the church is through a catechism, which is simply this. That's a scary word. Here's all it is. It's a systematic summary of the truths of Christianity in the form of question and answers. That's all it is. A catechism 
is not a replacement for the scriptures. But it serves as a reinforcement of biblical doctrines. It is not meant to draw you away from the word of God. But it's meant to draw you deeper into it. Now, here's the reason we don't use these in the modern church today. Because most catechisms are long. And they are written in really antiquated language. Making it very difficult for the modern learner. That's why I'm so excited about the recently published Christian catechism. It's called the New City Catechism, uh, published by Crossway. And it's a shorter version of the principles of God's Word. And it's written in modern and simplified language. And it makes it a really good tool for the entire church to grow in their understanding and memorization of the teachings found within the Scriptures. So as a church... We are prayerfully utilizing this as one of our tools for discipleship. Okay, the, the New City Catechism has a free app that you can download. Now, our fellowship doesn't have anything like this. We search. Our, the Assemblies of God doesn't have anything like this. So we're using a general Christian catechism. So out of these 52 questions, this is really important. There are actually um, three minor changes that we're going to publish on our website. This is written from a reformed view. And uh, we, we, are, we have a little bit different understanding of some of the doctrines. Particularly the doctrine of what we call election. And when we get to that it will be a really great time for us to talk about what election is and predestination. So those changes will be available on our website hopefully by the end of this week. Now we want to challenge each of you to go with us on this journey. Here's, here's kind of the idea. That you would download this free app or you would buy one of the books. They're $5. And you would take your family through this catechism. On the, that's 52 questions and answers. It takes about two minutes to read the question and the answer and look up the scriptures that go with it. This will change your life because it, it helps summarize the teachings of God's word. You will be amazed at what this will do for you. On the free app, um, on iPhone or Android, it's really incredible because there's a kid's version. If you go to settings, you can choose a kid's version, and it even simplifies it more. And there are songs that go with each uh, question and answer to make it easy for memorization. And so our children, as part of Kids Church, they're going to be learning. Uh, Jennifer, are they starting this morning? or They're starting this morning. Um, with that first question, and they're going to learn a key doctrine, and they're going to sing about it. They're going to start to understand who God is, who we are, who God made us to be. That's incredible. And so I am so excited about this. But I just want to challenge you to go through and memorize these answers. You know, whether you have children or not, this is going to be foundational to where we want to go. Now, here's what we want from you. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Acts 2.42, last scripture that I'm going to read today. Acts 2.42. They didn't just leave and go do their own thing. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. But my job is not to force you. I can't do that. My job is to encourage you. What a great time at the beginning of 2018 to say, you know what? I'm really going to grow in my faith. I, I listen to some people talk who have been saved for years who really don't understand key doctrines in the Scriptures. So don't think, well, I, I've been a Christian a long time. 
I don't need this. We all need it. We all need sometimes to go back to the basics. And then in small groups, to be to go deeper into the Word of God and deeper into Christian community. That's We're missing that as well. People want to come in on Sunday mornings and then do their own thing. And But... You're not just here to come on Sunday mornings. When you get saved, you're part of the church. This is a community. Like it or not, you're stuck with us. All right? And we're thankful that you're stuck with us because we like you. And I can't wait to watch us grow as a church in 2018. So we have all these tools available for you. And I just pray simply that you would prayerfully utilize them. And here's my prayer for the church. That we would break out of any kind of spiritual apathy. I pray that we would want to know God's truth, that that we would savor the Word of God. And I want our teenagers, hear me. We've got teenagers who are graduating this year, teenagers that are graduating next year. When they go to Eastern or UK or wherever they go for college or if they go to the workforce, and they have a professor or a boss who, who begins to challenge them on their faith, who says, oh, what you experience, this is not real, it's just emotionalism. Those students need foundation to back it up. Because our our faith, for instance, Paul says, hinges on the resurrection of Christ. And if they don't know the historicity of the resurrection, if they don't understand that this is not just fantasy, it's proven fact that Jesus is risen. It's well documented. It's proven. That's called apologetics. It's a defense of the faith. And I want you to know, I'm committing, I've talked to our youth leaders. Uh, you know, it's, it's sad when you hear, um, I, I was a youth pastor for about 15 years. And what do you think it is that the question is most of the time that a parent asks uh, that her son or daughter when they leave youth group? Did you have what? Fun. Did you have fun? And I'm afraid adults are asking that same question too often. Was it fun? Friends, church is not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be formative. So we are committed to this, to raising up disciples who call Jesus master, who know the doctrines, who know the defense of the faith. This is going to change our church. It will flow, overflow into our city. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.